The cutoff story for this week at number 11, that headline reads like this, Iran hack, U.S. government website hacked with image of bloody Trump. You can see more about that story and maybe see the images if they haven't pulled them at our website. This is theconversation.com for this week's podcast. But this is this point where we start the countdown from 10 to 1. The stories that you said were actually the best stories, the more conversational stories, the most important stories per you, not just what was going on in the crazy news alerts of the week. Although some of those stories are are touched in the top 10. So what are in the top 10? While that statement may not be quite grammatically correct, we're going to tell you in just a moment here on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cliff and Payne. And this is the wrap up for the week ending January the 11th, 2020. And welcome to the show. I am Jay Cleveland Payne, and this is the weekly wrap up. This presented by the Conversation Project at thisisaconversation.com is a wrap up of the stories that you picked all week long to say what are the top 10 most conversational stories based on your social media engagement. And how do you engage in social media? Well, we go back to the beginning. Every single day, every single hour, basically ish, about every 50 minutes or so, we post a brand new headline from various sources around the internet. Some of them you love, some of them you hate most of them are vetted pretty well and sometimes some sneak in past us but every 50 minutes we'll post a story on facebook and twitter for you to judge if you see a story that comes up in your feed and you like it and you hate it or you love it or you want to comment about it like it love it hate it comment or share it do what you can to engage with that story and the more engagement the story gets the higher the score gets at the top of the week and the ones that go to the very bottom we'll talk about those as well uh, but this is basically a, a race to the top of the first part of the show so find us on twitter at th underscore conversation find us on facebook and instagram under this is a conversation and make sure we are set as default in your feed in the Facebook so that we get a better chance of popping up on the normal task. And every so often, just look out for us and see what we have going on. We have great things going up in the ways of letting you know what stories you may have missed and what stories you believe are more important than whatever stuck on a Chiron based on the headline news of the week. And this week was a crazy week of headlines. And so with a lot of Trump, Trump, Trump stuff happening here in the States, this got us a chance to see things that were outside of that. Some of them very cool. Some of them also pretty grim, but more extensive and a more of a real balanced base of the news attack as opposed to just the one story over and over again. Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or concerns that you have. And of course, as we said, our website is this is a conversation.com. Look for the podcast for the week ending January the 11th, 2020, and you'll get a chance to read about every single story we talk about here. A link to all the sources we have will be in this week's podcast. The Conversation Project is powered by you, so if you want to help keep things powered and the power on, visit patreon.com slash this is the conversation, or you can just buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Payne and help keep things going. So without further ado, let's get into the countdown, part of the countdown. Part one of this po- of the podcast is the top 10 stories from 10 to 1. Part two, we'll go over the stories that at the very bottom of the list going from uh, today, we go all the way down to number 214. So that's 210 down to 214. And segment three, we'll give shout outs to people on Facebook and Twitter who showed us extra love in the actual committal of the act of making this thing happen. So let's make this part happen for you and get to story at number 10 and the headline for that one this one is a pretty grim one five dead dozens hospitalized in pennsylvania turnpike crash 
This story was big and lasted quite a while on our range. We posted on Sunday, the 5th of January, and it gets a bump of response. That means more people responded to this one than the last story, the cutoff story, by 7.03%. This is some of the headlines, some of the, the reading from the headline story. We pulled it from Yahoo News. It was an AP write-up that they pulled. At least five people were killed and dozens were injured in a crash early Sunday involving multiple vehicles on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, a transportation official said. The fatal crash involved a tour bus, two tractor trailers, and passenger vehicles also injured at least 60 people, according to the Pennsylvania Turnpike spokesman, Carl DeFebo. He said in a tweet that the tour bus flipped on its side. The FIBO said a coroner confirmed five fatalities in the scene, which happened in Westmoreland County, around 30 miles or 50 kilometers east of Pittsburgh. There were 25 victims ranging in age from 7 to 52 years old, transported to Excella Frick Hospital in Mount Pleasant, Excella Health Spokesperson Robin Jennings said. Nine of those patients are under the age of 18. Sorry for the bad reading on that. At least one of the 25 victims initially sent an Excella, sent to Excella was transported to a nearby trauma center, and the rest of the patient's conditions were unknown at the time, Jennings says. Details on this are sketchy at the time, and there's more available if you look for it online. Go to the link at our website, thisisaconversation.com, for this week's podcast, and you read deeper into the story. This, as I said, was a very, very big story that happened uh, the beginning of the week, and it stuck around all week long to stick around in the 10 spot. So we are, of course, giving out thoughts and prayers to all the people affected by this. And, of course, big weather we're expecting this weekend here coming up. So hopefully nothing as serious or dangerous happens coming up on this weekend we have here. Let's keep it moving with the story at number nine, a much lighter one, although it still is pretty heavy in the crime action. Here's your headline. Ex-Bachelor contestant Jade Roper Tolbert accused of colluding with husband to win $1 million daily fantasy prize. Story is posted on Tuesday, the 7th of January. This gets a bumper response from the 10 story of 7.07%. And this one also from Yahoo, Yahoo Sports, because it's fantasy. Uh, they wrote this up specifically for the thing. Here is the details of this story. A former contestant on The Bachelor won $1 million playing daily fa fantasy football over the weekend. Now she's under investigation after being accused of colluding with her husband. Jade Roper-Tobert won the DraftKings Millionaire Maker Contest that consists of creating fantasy lineups from the NFL's four wildcard games. Her lineup including Houston, Texas quarterback Deshaun Watson, Seattle Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf, and Minnesota Vikings running back Calvin Dalvin Cook, according to ESPN. When she won on Sunday afternoon, her victory garnered attention outside of the daily fantasy community because of her celebrity status. Robert Tobert was a contestant on the 19th season of The Bachelor 2015 and the second season of Bachelor in Paradise. Later that year, she met her husband, Tanner Tobert, on Bachelor in Paradise. He was also a contestant on the 11th season of The Bachelorette 2015. DraftKings tweeted out a Bachelor-themed congratulations to Robert Tobert that has since been deleted amid accusations that the couple colluded to win a $1 million payday. So the story goes deeper, deeper, deeper. So check the link to read on it. But basically what happened is both Tolbert and Robert Tolbert, the wife and husband or husband and wife, were playing on DraftKings Millionaire Maker Fantasy Football. But they were playing in the same league and they were basically colluding, shifting and trading off the same players, the right players, to make the greatest amount of money, to make the best hit for a team that happened to be Roper Tobert's team. So after all that shuffling, all that doing, all that wrongdoing, they got a win, but they got caught 
And they may not have gotten caught. They may have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for the fact that she were semi-famous. We'll see what resolutions comes from this one, other than the fact that they're not getting a million dollars from fantasy football. And the infamy continues for the two former Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise peoples. Keeping the theme on football that's actually related to football, number eight this week, Kyle Long retires from Bears at 31. Monday, the 6th of January, the date we posted this, a bump in response from the number nine story of 5.66%. This story, also from Yahoo Sports, a lot of Yahoo this week, a lot of Yahoos as well. Here's the write-up they had also done by Jason Owens, who wrote the other story, by the way. Chicago Bears guard Kyle Long announced his retirement on Twitter on Sunday in a surprise revelation from the seven-year veteran. Long, 31, is a three-time pole bowler, but appears to have grown weary of the injury toll he has suffered in NHL. Long made the Pro Bowl each of his first three seasons in Chicago after being selected in the first round of the 2013 draft out of Oregon. He missed just one game across those three seasons, but has not played more than 10 games in a single season since. He suffered severe ligament damage and an ankle injury in 2016 that required surgery and cost him half the season. He also had a surgery to repair a torn labrum this season. Long played in just four games in 2019 before a hip injury ended the season. It occurred prior to a Week 4 game against Minnesota Vikings that he sat out. He returned to play every snap of the Week 5 game against Oakland Raiders for the team placed him on injured reserve for the fourth straight season. Go deeper into the story as well. But this is another person who's in the NFL who was playing sports just in general. And he's not so much in his prime. Injuries are basically taking him out and taking its toll on him. But he is relatively young. Seven seasons, 31 years old. And for all practical purposes, if you've watched some of the football this season, he could have some very good chances of jumping on other teams if he were still available, even if it was as a backup. But apparently backup is not what is good enough for him. Not playing is a bad thing. So we are saying goodbye to Kyle Long. Congratulations, Kyle, for figuring out that this is the way to go. We'll see how long retirement lasts and what he actually does post-football. This next story posted just yesterday grew quickly because of the status of it, just the severe panic in the status. And luckily, not too much turned out from it. But we are going to give you the update from last evening when it was originally happened around one o'clock in the afternoon, uh, our time, my time, central time on Thursday. And that being Thursday, the 9th of January, the original headline was Birmingham VA on lockdown as police look for Huntsville slaying suspect. The updated headline is Search Ongoing for Huntsville Slaying Suspect, Lockdown Softened at Birmingham VA. Posted, as we said, on Thursday the 9th, that was yesterday as recorded on the 10th, the story itself gets a bump in response from the previous story at 8 of 6.25%. From the update from last night from Alabama.com. The suspect in Huntsville's first homicide of 2020 is believed to be in Birmingham, authorities said. Because authorities believe the deadly shooting suspect might be traveling to a veterans affairs clinic, the VA Medical Center and clinic in Birmingham were on lockdown and canceled appointments Thursday afternoon. Patients and their families were eventually allowed to leave the VA clinic on 24th Street in 7th Avenue South Thursday evening. Precautions are still on the way at the medical center on 19th Street and at the clinic, said spokesman Jeff Hester. Patients, their caregivers, and non-essential employees were allowed to leave the facilities. Hospital remained on diversion or not receiving new patients Thursday night. Hester said no decision was yet made about Friday appointment, but said updates will be posted on the Birmingham VA Medical Center Facebook page. Huntsville police identified the slaying suspect as 46-year-old Cornette Dimitrick Evans. 
He's wanted on a warrant charging him with murder, said Huntsville Police Lieutenant Michael Johnson. Evans may be armed and suicidal. The authorities said Evans is described as 5 feet 11 inches tall and 193 pounds. He may be driving a gold Jeep Patriot with Alabama tags YAN258. The shooting happened around 11.30 a.m. in a parking lot at Sun Lake of Edgewood Apartments off Zert Road in Huntsville. A woman died after being taken to the Huntsville Hospital in critical condition. Her name has not yet been released. So if you know any details on this, you happen to be in the Huntsville area, you can let the authorities know there, uh, or the Birmingham area, you can let the authorities know there what's going on. This was a very quick, very uh, intense story that popped up. And as you can see, didn't take much for it to get its juice and get into the mindset of you guys. It lives for this week in history as a story at number seven. History is also among us the story at number six in history not on the good side of anyone. We don't have a lot of big Trumpian, as we like to say it, uh, headline news this week, but this one is essentially attached to it based on the attacks of the attacks of the attacks. Headline, Iranians, Canadians among dead in Ukraine 737 crash outside Tehran. Wednesday, the 8th of January, it's date this happened and we posted it, we got a, a bump in response of... 7.98% from the previous story. Now, the background of what was going on at the time, earlier in the week, President Trump announced that we had killed a Iranian second-in-command person. He was actually the big big deal last week in the news. So as part of the retaliation, the Iranians fired ballistic missiles at near, more or less, a base in Iraq that was near uh, United States forces and Iraqi forces. There were no casualties. They the, the idea was maybe they're just trying to scare people up. In the process, somehow, we're believing two extra ballistic missiles went off in the air and hit this plane that didn't know that it was in the middle of a war zone at the time and took it down. We're going to read from the updated story that Time Magazine posted. The Time Magazine was a source. We'll read the story as updated based on how things were at the time. A Iranian passenger jet carrying 176 people crashed on Wednesday, just minutes after taking off from Iranian's capital, main airport, turning farmland on the outskirts of Tehran into fields of flaming debris and killing all on board. The crash of Ukraine International Airlines came hours after Iran launched a ballistic missile attack on Iraqi bases housing U.S. soldiers, but the Iranian officials said they suspected a mechanical issue brought down the three-and-a-half-year-old Boeing 737-800 aircraft. Ukrainian officials initially agreed, but later backed away and declined to offer a cause, which investigators are ongoing. The plane carried 167 passengers and nine crew members from different nations. Ukraine's foreign minister, Vladimir Pleskitko, said that there were 82 Iranians, 63 Canadians, and 11 Ukrainians on board. The Ukrainian nationals included two passengers and a nine crew. There were also 10 Swedish, four Afghan, three German, and three British nationals, he said. The airline officials said most of the passengers were en route to the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, transitioning through there to other destinations. Staff at the Borsky Airport in Kiev told the Associated Press that passengers on the flight are usually Iranian students coming back to Ukraine after winter holidays. So this is a complicated story, and we're not going to get any sort of resolution of this anytime soon. What we do have is kind of a backing away and a de-escalation just by default between the United States and Iran after this, and maybe it's alive is because of this thing here. What we do know about the plane crash or what's going to happen in aftermath is Iran is refusing to allow anyone to 
reviewed the black boxes. They say they will share the data with with the Ukraine, but not with Boeing, the maker of the plane, or with anyone else. In the meantime, the United States, the Canadians, and other officials have what they see as pretty much good proof that it was shot down by Iranian missiles, ballistic missiles, most likely. Uh, and why it was, no one really knows. It seems like it was just a really bad mistake. We send out our thoughts to all the people dealing with this issue, people dealing with the loss of lives there, whether whatever side of the of the issue you are on, wherever side of the world and nation that you're from, uh, this is a life loss, a lots of lives lost, and we hope that the families will find some sort of strength in the struggle, and we find a way to find some sort of way to totally de-escalate all these actions. In having coverage that goes 24-7 and posting a story essentially every 50 minutes, at some point in time, you just start posting things that look semi-interesting and just to fill the space. This one didn't even look all that interesting, but we posted it, and it stuck around for quite some time. In fact, it was posted by us on Friday the 3rd of January, so basically right after or Right after we recorded last week's program, we posted this one. And guess what? It is in the countdown for this week in the number five spot. The headline is, Amazon threatens to fire employees who speak out on climate change. That's what they say. This gets a bumper response very slight from the sixth story of only 1.56%. We got this from CNBC. Here is what it said about Amazon and this maybe not so great plan for their employees. A group of Amazon employees say the company has threatened to fire two workers for speaking out against the company's environmental policies. In a statement posted on Twitter on Thursday, Amazon employees for climate justice said that several employees were contacted by legal, legal and human resources representatives who said they were in violation of the company's external communications policy. Two employees were told their roles would be terminated if they continued to speak out about Amazon's business, a spokesperson for a group told CNBC. Marin Costa, a user experience designer, was one of the employees Amazon threatened to fire. In the statement, Costa said, quote, This is not the time to shoot the messengers. This is not the time to silence those who are speaking out. Amazon also threatened to terminate Jamie Kowalski, a software development engineer, according to the Washington Post, which first reported the news on Thursday. Kowalski and Costa said they received letters from one of Amazon's lawyers after speaking out publicly on October, the Post reported. In a statement, the employee group claimed Amazon changed its policy in September and that the updated policy, quote, requires employees to seek the prior approval to speak out about Amazon in any public forum while identified as an employee, unquote. Go to our website, thisistheconversation.com. Click the link for this week's podcast, week ending January the 11th, 2020, and check it out. Get more details on the story. Now, from a personal standpoint, I've dealt with this sort of in two ways. Number one, I was in the military. And when you're in the military, you are definitely not allowed to just speak off you know, off the cuff about your bosses. It's just not what you're supposed to do. And very recently, in fact, last year, if you follow the behind the scenes things that are Jacob and Payne, you know that I lost employment. I was fired from my job. The, the position was terminated. So that's kind of the nice way of saying it. And in exchange for getting a couple months of severance, I had to sign some paperwork, basically saying that I wasn't going to sue the company. I wasn't going to talk bad about him. And if there was something issue, it would go to some sort of arbitration where basically I would lose. And I signed the paperwork. I got the money and I don't talk about the company anymore. And that is that. Here's an issue where people who are working for the company said they had the right to speak out on something that's not company related, climate change. But they are speaking out about the way their company handles things that may affect climate change. And they're saying that the company, being Amazon, 
change the rules on them so that they can't say that. If there was some sort of blanket statement from beforehand, then they would be covered. Now they're saying they're changing the rules just to keep these guys quiet. And apparently they're not just normal guys. They're not, they're, they may seem like nobody's to you, but apparently they have enough juice to get Amazon worried and bugged about this. We'll keep up on this story and see how it goes and see whether these employees continue to work for Amazon willingly or whether they work for them kind of just because it bugs Amazon or whether they will be terminated for talking about climate change and how Amazon may or may not contribute to it. Some stories you pick are surrounded of a larger story. This next story is attached to the Australian fires right now, but this is kind of an odd attached to it. We've talked a lot about the stories about koala bears finding their ways into these listings because people like koala bears and the fire stories makes it sad that so many koala bears are now homeless or have died from the fires. This is one where that's the weird result of this, the, the climate that it is. And just the nature of the story is just so freaking weird that it catches your attention. This is the headline we posted on Tuesday, the 7th of January, Australia, more than 100 camels to be shot because they drink too much water. We pulled it from the independent from the UK. Uh, This gets a bump response of 11.88% from the number five story. And this is the top Facebook story. This is a story that people on Facebook went bonkers over on their back and forth chatter and their sharing of it. Let's get you a little bit from the story and explain why one would want to shoot a camel in the middle of the desert. Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. More than 10,000 camels will be shot by professional firearms experts from helicopters to prevent them from drinking too much water in drought-afflicted South Australia. Shooters will begin to call the on Wednesday following an order from Aboriginal leaders in the AYP lands. We're not even going to try to pronounce it. Locals have complained that the animals have been entering communities and wrecking havoc as they look for available water sources, including taps and tanks. We have been stuck in stinking hot and uncomfortable conditions, feeling unwell because the camels are coming in and knocking down fences, getting in and around the houses and trying to get to water through air conditioners. Martita Baker, a board member of the APY executive, told the Australian. The animals are also being culled over concerns that greenhouse gas emissions, as they emit methane equivalent to one ton of carbon dioxide per year, the paper reported. Click on the link for this story. It's at the website, thisistheconversation.com. The link is for the posting for this week's podcast, January the 11, 2020. And you can read more into this and see more pictures of what's going on in Australia with the brush fires and things going on. Now, this is a weirdly complicated and probably an Australia-type thing that only can happen in Australia. Uh, While many people here in the States have dealt with issues of sort of the predator type animals that are getting in the way a lot of times with bears here in arkansas we have issue with feral pigs uh, often there are things like like deer encroaching and wolves and coyotes and things like that and they do have things such as urban hunts every uh five years or so they'll set up what's an urban deer hunt where people can shoot deer in in the urban areas because they have permits these are professionals these aren't just people rolling around shooting camels and these are issues that are pretty serious Although the methane gas one is one that might be kind of uh, iffy. If they believe they're causing enough methane to really cause greenhouse issues, talk to Amazon about that one, then that might be an issue. And also, they're drinking water and endangering the people. Although the people have probably encroached on their land first, that is an issue. We will keep up with what's going on with the camels and the koalas and all the animals in Australia as we continue to keep up with the fires that are ravaging 
that land. We had a thing we called a super story. We're trying to figure out what to do with it now that we've changed the way we've went through the stat process of everything. But we have two stories that are definitely closely related, that are close enough in the top ten or just so much distinct we had to pull them together. We add their scores together. We used to give you both stories and give you a piece of both of them. We don't do that now. We take the most impactful part of the story. These are two stories that were directly linked to each other, and it turned into added stats. So those added stats made this one the number three story of the week. It was already in the top ten, so it wasn't going to really affect it that way. But it just pushed it up a couple extra steps to where we're talking now. And the most impactful part of the story, which deals with the man who escaped his jail, well, not so much escaped his jail, but escaped his entire country while facing jail, and how he did that. Headline. Golson took bullet train to escape from Tokyo, Japan NTY says. Poor read on that one. But we posted it on Monday, the 6th of January, and this gets a bumper response of 21.92%. From Bloomberg, this is what they talked about, Mr. Golson. Carlos Golson used public transportation to get from Tokyo to Osaka before boarding a private jet to escape Lebanon to escape to Lebanon, broadcaster NTV reported, citing sources involved in the investigation. The former head of Nissan Motor Company and Renault SA took a bullet train around 4.30 p.m. local time on December 29th from Tokyo's Shingagua station, according to the report. He then took a taxi from Shinokasa station and stayed at a hotel near Kansai Airport, it said. A spokesman for Central Japan's railway company, a bullet train operator connecting Tokyo to Osaka, said he doesn't have any information to confirm the report. Gosun was arrested in November 2018 for charges of financial crimes that had been, had been out on bail as he awaited trial that he was scheduled to start this year. He flew via Istanbul to Beirut, the capital of Lebanon, which doesn't have an extradition agreement with Japan. Gosun, who holds Lebanese citizenship, is due to hold a press conference on Wednesday to provide his version of the events. This is a story that just gets weirder and weirder and the more you think about it. This guy was going on trial and Japan just let him get away. And not only, not only just let him get away, he took public transit to do that. That's the uh, basic equivalent of saying he, he grabbed the bicycle, got on a bus and took it to the train to the to the airport, which he basically did. He took a bullet train, then took a taxi, then hung out at a hotel for a night and then got on a plane going to Lebanon. I'm not sure how the security details run in Japan, but somebody needs to be fired, fired for this happening. For the number two story, the headline says most. So let's just read the headline. A 93-year-old man allegedly shot an apartment worker over a dispute about water damage. CNN.com is our source for this one. Our posting with this was Tuesday, the 7th of January. Bump a response of 36.24% from the number three story. Let's get you some details. A 93-year-old man upset about flooding and water damage in his Las Vegas apartment shot an employee in the residential complex, authorities said. Robert Thomas has been charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and discharging a firearm within a structure, burglary with a firearm, and carrying a concealed weapon without a permit. That's a lot. According to records from the Clark County Detention Center, the defense attorney for Thomas said in court on Friday that the incident was likely due to mental issues given his age, according to CNN affiliate KVVU. Las Vegas police received a call on January 2nd from a woman who, at the front desk of the Vista del Valle apartment, saying that an elderly man, later identified as Thomas, had a gun and was making threats inside the office, Assistant Sheriff Brent Zimmerman said at a news conference on Monday. His quote, 
It was later determined that Thomas was upset at the management because of water damage and flooding his apartment. While on the phone with the caller, the dispatcher was able to hear some of the threats being made by Thomas. Surveillance video released by the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department shows Thomas pulls a Glock 9mm handgun out of his coat while talking to two employees inside the office. At one point, he fires a shot randomly in the office, which goes through a partition wall and into a computer screen. You need to go to our website, thisistheconversation.com, click the link for this week's podcast, January the 11th, 2020, and read the rest of the story. This is a story that is quite bonkers, but is one that is um, quite entertaining in its bonkersness. Uh, it's amazing how this whole thing played out, and luckily, no one was seriously injured in the mess. We hope that Mr. Thomas is going to get the help he needs. We hope that he was able to figure out the dispute on the water damage. We hope that um, things like this don't happen too often anytime soon. But we also hope that you get something out of this number one story, which is another oddity in itself. This is a story that is literally a local story to me. And as I say, sometimes we're just plugging the holes with stories in here. This is something that someone in my Facebook feed, a friend of mine, posted. uh, And it's relevant to me because it deals with radio and the people in the business here locally. And the story, I guess, just struck a nerve because it is the top Twitter story. And it is topped by leaps and bounds. It is uh, the jumper response from the number two to one story is 144%. The bumper response from the number one story to the number 10 story this week, which is about the uh, people who died in the Pennsylvania Turnpike crash, is 497%. And the bumper response from the very bottom of the list this week, number 214, is uh, is astronomical. 300,000 35,000, say that three times fast, 780% more responsive than any of that. So, we posted the story on Friday, the 3rd of January, and it got a whole lot of mess. Also, the engagement level of this story here, based on the entire batch of stories, was 29.7%. 30% of the stories we engaged with this week are people touching this one right here. Your headline. Little Rock radio personality Eric Sullivan fired after theft accusation. The source of the story is KATV.com, the ABC affiliate here in Little Rock. And here is a part of the write-up that they have there. Little Rock radio personality Eric Sullivan has been fired after being accused of stealing cash from a woman at a restaurant. Sullivan hosted a sports program out of bounds on 103.7 The Buzz. He'd worked at the station since 2016. The station, which confirms the firing, removed images of him from the website and promotional materials. The firing comes after Sullivan was accused of stealing $409 from a woman at Sauce Bar and Oven at 1121 North Rodney Parham Road. Destiny Foley, 24, told police that she was at the restaurant Wednesday when she left a purse at the table and went to the restroom, according to a police report. Foley noticed the next day that her money was gone. Foley, who works at the restaurant, viewed surveillance footage and saw Sullivan going through her purse, according to the report. Foley said in a Facebook post Friday that the money had been returned to her. She also posted a video of the alleged theft. The video shows a man sitting at a table who unzips a wallet, removes cash, and places the wallet on the table next to him. Sullivan, a former contributor to KATV Sports Coverage, has not been charged. Friday, police spokesman Eric Barnes said Foley will have to press charges. 
There is a statement from Sullivan there, which basically says he's sorry for what's happened and is going on. Uh, the story basically ends on that note, but it's not much of a um, not not much of a cheery end to you guys. And as far as commentary in the top story, I don't understand how this becomes the top story. This is literally a plug-in story that just sort of you know tickles my fancy because it's about local people here. But some reason you just got picked up on it as a big time story. Maybe it's people that were locally here were spreading it back and forth on Twitter or or what. But it was such a massive Twitter response this week that it was just amazing to to see. So congratulations for you guys for picking up on local Little Rock stories. Hopefully next time it's something that's a bit more impactful, like the school district not doing well or the arts district doing better or all the great things that we're doing to make this city, which a year ago complained to Amazon that we're just not they're not good enough for us trying to be better all around in the meantime for brevity's sake let's keep things moving get prepared for our next segment which is of course rounding out the bottom five going to the stories at the very very bottom of the list this week which happen to be numbered starting at 210 going down to 214 we'll tell you more about them and how little you guys apparently thought about them in just a moment here on the weekly wrap-up with jay cliven Payne. this is for the week ending January the 11th, 2020. As we say, the Conversation Project is powered by you. You literally help keep this thing going. Number one, by listening and staying attentive. Number two, by engaging and making the numbers work out. And number three, sometimes by actually paying the way. So if you believe what we're giving to you is worth a few bucks, let us know by stopping by patreon.com slash this is the conversation or buy me a coffee, a quick one time or continual coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash J Cleveland Payne. It's that simple. You can also just simply go to uh, our website and visit our sponsors. Click the links inside of our newsletters. And this week we are spotlighting not a new sponsor, but a new a newish sponsor here in the spotlight spot. And this is Blinkist. Blinkist is the way I keep up with what's going on in books because I have heard and saw and seen people talk about all over how readers are leaders and you have to read a bunch of books all the time. And trust me, my schedule, I mean, we produce a podcast based on links to stories for people who are missing them because they're not getting a chance of watching much news. So a lot of people don't have a lot of time to sit down and read a full book a week, let alone the four that some people say they can do. This is a way that you can read a dozen books literally in a week. Blinkist is an app that allows you to get the gist, the main points, a breakdown of the great points of good and new nonfiction books. In fact, two books that I just read read last night as before I did this recording were a warning, the big book by Anonymous that spoke about the Trump cam, the Trump life in the White House and how crazy things are, and a book called Founded Over 40 about how people over 40 are basically getting their businesses done. You can check out books like this and check out plenty of them and get them read or read to you in audio versions in less than 20 minutes. And you can get the whole book, essentially the gist of any newish book, any recent book out there. They're all there. You can read the newest stuff from Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, you can read Girl, Wash Your Face. I've read that a few times, believe it or not, because I have Blinkist. And you can get all caught up in all the books that you are falling behind on. Go to our website and click on the link that is the Blinkist link or just visit thisotheconversation.com slash 
Blinkist. That's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. This is the conversation.com slash Blinkist. And get yourself set up for this great app that gets you caught up quickly on all the nonfiction books that you think you're missing out on. You won't be as soon as you sign up with Blinkist. Blinkist is our spotlight sponsor this week because they are a great sponsor and one that I have been personally using since well before we were able to get into their affiliate program. So if you think you're missing out on reading, this is the way to get caught up very quickly. Check it out. It's called Blinkist. We've been doing amazing things with the new stat lines we've been pulling out for This is the Conversation and the Conversation Project. We're looking to up the ante in the conversation and up the ante in the data we're providing to do a thesis, if you will, on how people are taking in their news. And so we're actually trying to see deeper into the numbers how people are engaging with it. As we said in the last segment, basically 30% of the people, 30% of the engagement all week long was on the top story this week, which is interesting. Now, the engagement on the stories in the top 10, that ranged out to 93% of what was going on. So of the 214 stories we had this week, 93% was all based on the stories we talked about in the last segment from 10 to 1. And only by you know a margin that is not hard to believe, 2.36% of the stories we're talking about now, the bottom five, anyone any cared about now one thing about the stories that are usually at the bottom most of the stories near the bottom are stories that are posted either the thursday night or the friday morning before we go to recording this this is recorded on friday the 10th and for so stories that are posted late thursday early friday don't have much of a chance to really grow and that is the case for a few of these stories but a few of these stories um, were, well, one of these stories was out much longer than, than, the, than the rest. And it's one that we believe may be an issue of last week's. Last week we had a glitch. This one kind of glitched itself as well. We believe this is why this one came out at the bottom because more people should be thinking about this one, we believe, than, than it is. And we'll give a little extra attention to that when we get there. But enough apologizing for you guys and not picking these stories. Let's pick the stories and go from there. Story at the number 210 spot it reads like this for the headline. CNN settles Nick Sandman's defamation lawsuit in Covenant Catholic High School controversy. Friday, the 10th of January. Yes, this morning, this was posted. Here we go from CNN. CNN has settled a multi-million dollar defamation lawsuit filed by Covenant Catholic High School student Nick Sandman over its botched coverage of a viral confrontation with a Native American elder that he that had portrayed the Kentucky teen as the aggressor. Fox 19 first reported that CNN settled the Sandman on Tuesday for an undisclosed amount. The $250 million defamation suit sought damages for the emotional distress Nicholas and his family suffered in the fallout of the network's reporting. Sandman's attorney, Todd McMurthy, Declined to comment on the dollar amount or other elements of the settlement with CNN. McMurthy told Fox News that lawsuits against, quote, as many as 13 other defendants will be filed in 30 to 40 days. Among them, this is not a quote, this is the listing that they believe to be, ABC, CBS, The Guardian, The Huffington Post, NPR, Slate, The Hill, and Gannett, which owns the Cincinnati Inquirer, as well as miscellaneous other small outfits, according to McMurthy. Sounds like it could be even us. Separate lawsuits against the Washington Post and NBC have already been filed. This is a story that got all sort of crazy when uh, the confrontation was put on CNN, who put the kid on blast, uh, and the tables were turned. It turned out that it wasn't quite as malicious as it was thought to be. Although, 
in, in many cases, most people believe that both sides are still kind of being jerkish about it. This is one that didn't end, it didn't end violently, didn't end with a lot of, a lot of fuss, but it ends with Nick Salmon getting a whole lot of money in his pocket. And this is something that CNN really does sort of back down to us because as a person in the news business sort of said in commentary and really relevant with the new Richard Jewell movie that's out right now, CNN does not like to be dealing with stuff like this, dealing with um, defamation suits when somebody claims that they've been wronged by a news network, CNN in particular. They don't want to fight this. They will pay up something quick to get it over with as opposed to going to court and losing the big money. This next story sitting at 211 is one that a lot of people actually reached out and talked to me about, but apparently it didn't reach out enough to make any actual difference. They didn't actually engage with it because it's at the near bottom of the pile. The headline for this story is Florida fisherman gets jail time, lifetime banned from fishing after getting caught with undersized lobsters. Fox News is the source Thursday, the 9th of January is the date this was posted. Something from that story. There are plenty of fish in the sea, but Alfredo Gonzalez won't be seeing them anytime soon. Gonzalez, 50, has been banned from commercial fishing for life after pleading no contest to hundreds of charges stemming from fishing violations in the Florida Keys. In addition, Gonzalez is now banned from swimming, diving, or fishing from land in the waters of Monroe County for the next five years of his probation, which likely won't be a problem for at least the first year as Monroe County judge further sentenced him to 364 days in the Monroe County Detention Center. Gonzalez, also referred to as Alfredo Gonzalez Tapia in early reports, was first arrested in January of 2018 after Florida Fish and Wildlife officers stopped him, stopped his commercial fishing boat in the Middle Keys and found him to be in possession of 379 undersized lobsters as well as out-of-season hogfish, the Monroe County State Attorney's Office confirmed in a news release. He was also found to be in possession of 173 lobster traps, as well as lobster trap buoys that were improperly marked. You can read more about Mr. Gonzalez or Gonzalez Tapia if you want to, about his uh, misdeeds, and you can, I guess, keep an eye on him on his jail time. He basically has all of two days, because this is a leap year, to um, get out and screw up his probation. So we'll see if his first day out he goes fishing in a pond and whether he goes back to the clink for something as simple as that. The story posted at 2.12 this week, I can hardly explain, so I'll read the headline, tell you when we posted it, and just read the story. Men are paying $76,000 for a limb extending surgery that involves breaking leg bones and inserting nails and screws. Insider.com is the source for this one Thursday the 9th is the date of this one, 9th of January, of course. Here we go. Let's get into it. When you think of plastic surgery, boob jobs and liposuction are likely some of the first procedures to come to mind. But limb lengthening surgery is now also an option for people who want to be up to 6 inches taller. Plastic surgeon Dr. Kevin Deparsian founded the Limb Plastex Institute in Las Vegas, Nevada in 2018 Create a business centered around limb lengthening cosmetic surgery. The Barparshan told Insider that since opening Limplastex Institute, he's worked with more than 30 people to make them taller. According to the Parsad, many patients, surgeons, lawyers, and venture capitalists among them come to him for, quote, fairly successful people, queer eyes, but they are having feelings of lacking, unquote, when it comes to height. Most of the patients are men, but he says he has some women who want to add height to their appearances. 
You can go deeper because it's one of those listicle type things that goes bit by bit and what goes on in that one. But this is one that makes absolutely no sense to me. So if it makes sense to you and you want to talk to the man in Las Vegas, his contact information is in the article. Next story is heartwarming and a bit unexpected, but it didn't get a lot of love because it did have a it did have a very late posting, I believe. More people seeing this one probably would have gave it a bit of a jump, and then we would not be talking about it at all because it probably wouldn't have gone high enough to be top 10 material. The story, the headline is, Folks came together to aid an unemployed mother of 11 facing eviction after her story went viral. Blavity, the blog news site, is where we got this on Friday, the 10th of January, early this morning that we posted this. Here's a little bit of the write-up as they had it. Jessica Sumlin, a mother of 11, was facing eviction after she was laid off from her seasonal job. She worried about what would become of her and her kids when her story went viral. As Sumlin's story spread, her circumstances were met with both empathy and criticism. If I had family to go to, like immediate family, I'd go and ask them, but I don't have any immediate family. It's just me and my kids, Sumlin told Fox 13 Memphis. In an emotional interview with the Memphis Fox affiliate, someone explained how, despite her best efforts, she couldn't seem to make ends meet and was desperately looking for employment. I've been filling out job applications, going places, and everything is just piling up, she said. The Memphis natives left their job of 12 years at Taco Bell due to a high-risk pregnancy. She found a temporary job in November but was laid off days before Christmas. Someone's story went viral. While there were a fair number of apathetic responses given the nature of the internet, many wanted to come to someone's aid. Days after Fox 13 aired the original broadcast, the station was swamped with calls and messages from the Memphis community wondering how they could help. In one instance, a business owner who didn't want to be shown on camera sent a $250 check to the news station to forward to the distressed mother. Across the internet, Sumlin's GoFundMe exploded and reached donations over $10,000, surpassing its initial $2,000 goal. One woman said she even connected with Sumlin to aid her in professional development. You can go deeper into the story and see how overwhelmed she was with joy. And they also point out some of the more issues that were kind of a little bit on the sketchier side, if, if, if you will. She is an unemployed mother of 11 with no family to go to, which brought up a lot of thoughts to the Octomom, who really literally did that to herself. But it's it's a it's a heart-touching story of a woman who was in need, and it wasn't so much about the woman and her life and her choices, but it literally was about taking care of the kids. No matter how you think about people and the really sometimes bad things they do and the bad choices they make, when kids are involved, you've got to put your heart out there and at least let the kids be taken care of. The story at the very bottom this week is amazing to me how it's there. We believe there was a glitch in the numbers, which had some counts go low to put it down at the very bottom. This is a story that touches me personally because it's about cancer and my wife being a cancer survivor. This is really one that, that really means a lot to me. And this is one that even though it didn't make it into the listings, you know, at least as a posting so much, Donald Trump decided to sort of claim responsibility for the good that came out of this. I will read the story and you can put your own Trumpian ideas into it on your own. The headline for story 214, the almost relevant story for this week, U.S. cancer death rates are dropping at a fastest rate, fastest pace on record. Apologies for the bad read on that. Bloomberg.com is our source for that one. It was posted on Wednesday, the 8th of January. So this one had a few days to be out there and should be somewhere in the mix of the, of the other stories. 
but we believe it's a glitch that kept some numbers down, so it is not. So at least it means I get a chance to talk about this to you. We'll call that a blessing on its own. From the Bloomberg article, the cancer death rate in the U.S. fell by the most on record as advances in treatments for lung tumors like video-assisted surgery help prolong the lives of patients. The mortality rate from cancer has been gradually declining for 26 years, thanks in part to fewer people smoking cigarettes. But from 2016 to 2017, the most recent period available, it dropped by 2.2%, the most ever in a single year, according to a report released Wednesday by the American Cancer Society. That compares with an average of 1.5% yearly decline over the decade. The drop translates to roughly 2.9 million fewer cancer deaths that would have occurred had mortality rates remained at their peak. For lung cancer specifically, the mortality rate declined 4.3% annually from 2013 to 2017. Go to the website and click the link for this so you can read deeper into the whole story. There's more details, there's more stats, and there's no Trump in this one. However, as we said earlier, this was posted on Wednesday, and I think the the release was Wednesday or Tuesday. Trump's been a little busy, so give him that, but, but now that some of that's decided, he has sort of taken credit for this i think he did it in one of his rallies he just so it was kind of a pop-off where he said how the cancer rates are going down and and his administration did it and his administration probably didn't do it but we'll you know we'll let him do what he wanted to do or say what he wants to say check out the website this is the conversation.com click the link for this week's podcast which is of course week ending january the 11 2020 and see the links for everything we talked about today Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk about people who should be talked about. There are people we love. We adore them. They showed us extra love and adornment throughout the week on the Twitters and the Facebook. So we'll shout out a few folks and wrap this whole thing up here on the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne. Week ending January the 11th, 2020. Laptop Laura is on a mission. She wants to help you write great copy, publish a best-selling book, leverage your podcast, and apply psychology for more authority in sales in your business online. Laptop Laura is Laura Peterson. She describes herself as a tall math and psychology teacher turned entrepreneur. She's also an Amazon international best-selling author, a speaker, a podcast, a super nerd, she says, and a persuasive writing expert, and she's took about 10 years of teaching psychology at high school and community college level, and she's turning that into something that she's making money with and helping other people do it as well, helping other podcasters and entrepreneurs apply psychology hacks and writing tips to improve their shows and businesses. CopyThatPops.com is the website where you can find her work. She has a podcast, which is called Copy That Pops, and she also offers up something that's for someone who's heavy into their books. That's books that pop. So she helps you write copy for whatever you're doing that's going to pop and write that book that will do the same thing in different levels. Your copy is what goes immediately into the atmosphere for people to pick up and read. The book is used for getting knowledge and sometimes used as a sometimes a pretty expensive uh, calling card. I will say that as a book writer myself. But you can check out what she has going on at her website, copythatpops.com, or 
basically wherever your pods are cast, look for that podcast. I've been listening to this one for a few years, and this is one that gives plenty of great advice and talks to plenty of authors and other people who are promoting themselves on how to get promoted and how to do the best what's going on. So if you are an author in the waiting or an author who's waiting to get that book actually sold instead of just sitting in your garage, or if you're a podcaster or entrepreneur who wants to get more exposure, Laura has you covered. Check out Laptop Laura and what she has going on at copythatpops.com. That's copythatpops.com. Or look for Copy That Pops wherever your favorite podcasts are potted or casted. She, being Laura, is our podcast spotlight of the week. Her podcast, of course, Copy That Pops. For those of you interested, we're doing these brand new numbers on engagement and seeing where things are going. Uh, Because of the big story we had at Little Rock with Eric Sullivan and his uh, theft accusation, Twitter was mucho, mucho king this week, getting 92% of all the engagement total for the entire block. And we already talked about how much engagement the top 10 got this week based on what was going on. Also, 7.6% or so engagement for the other end of that in Facebook. So Facebook, guys, we need to get you guys stepping up a little bit more with your engagement. So we're going to try to add incentive by going to the Facebook first for our shout-out. Shout-outs for Facebook lovers include Peter Thiel, Big O, Ruth Ann Miller, Adele Carnes, Audra Allen, the words coming in, great words coming in from Don Parker as well, LP Robinson, and from Corey Huffman. Going to the Twitter folks who shows us love, extra love on the Twitter throughout their weeks of tweeting and checking things out and sitting around. Uh, much love to Buy Me a Coffee, who basically every time we mention Buy Me a Coffee, it's a bot that said that likes it. So we're glad they know that we like their product. Also, Anodyne, Mid Century Cinema. K, hey K, Yorkie, Sober Speak, who was our spotlight sponsor, spotlight podcast from last week, Sober Speak, and there's their podcast at soberspeak.com. Also, words this week from Jasmina Zerokic, Dork, and some guy named Jay Cleveland Payne liked his own thing this week. You know, sometimes you have to do that. So, we're done for the week. Thank you so much for being a part of the entire project, the entire show, the whole shebang. We love that you're here. So much so that we put you to work when you show up. This thing doesn't work without you because, one, we need the listeners. Two, we need the responses to give us something to read, something to go through. You write the script by the stories you engage with, so we need you to engage with them. If you're not already inputting your inputs, that doesn't make much sense. Follow us on social media, on Facebook. Look for This is the Conversation, or we're there on, on on Instagram as well. Make sure we are set as a primary source in your feed for Facebook so you can see us more. On Twitter, it's TH underscore Conversation. And as you basically check your own stuff, look for us every so often and see what stories we have posted in the meantime. Remember, it's a game of timing, so sometimes a story that may pop out er- hours earlier, but because many things are put in place, it takes a while for it to get there, and sometimes... It takes a while for a story to gain steam. So we'll put something out early when it comes out as a post. And then a few days later, it actually gains steam and people are actually checking into it. Sometimes the stories work that way. But you engage with stories for us and you tell us what stories are the big ones for 
our show and our website and our daily newsletters every single day. Go to thisistheconversation.com for all the information you need about the whole conversation project, including links to get the daily newsletter. Monday through Thursday, we send you a newsletter telling you about the eight stories that are the tops in the time range. On Monday, we'll talk about the weekend. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's the day before. And of course, Friday, we work on this thing right here. Remember that the conversation is powered by you, so help keep the power on by stopping by our Patreon site and becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash this is the conversation. Buy me a coffee here or there at buymeacoffee.com slash Payne, or visit any of our sponsors by clicking the links inside of our sources, website, the email newsletter, or go directly to this week's Spotlight Sponsor, and they'll take good care of you. It is called Blinkist. If you're short on time and want to read more books, they've got you covered. This is theconversation.com slash Blinkist, and they will take good care of you when you join up for the Blinkist app. Also spotlighting this week are cool, cool podcaster, Laptop Laura and Copy to Pops. Copy to Pops.com or wherever you find your podcast, she will get you straight and on the path to great perfection in getting your word out and getting your message out to more great people. Now let's talk about the podcast itself. The podcast lives every single week to give you the top 10 stories that were said by the populace of the internet. So if you're not subscribed to it, you won't automatically get it put into your podcatcher. Look for links at our website, thisistheconversation.com, or you can just look for the conversation in my conversation stuff at your favorite podcatcher. We're probably there. Now, the best way to make sure that you're spreading the news about the podcast and get more people involved is that you share the podcast with other folks. So find some friends, find some enemies, find random strangers on the street, and tell them about this podcast. In fact, we suggest you go down the street, grab people's phones, and subscribe to the podcast and hand it back to them. They will say nice things back to you. They always say nice things back to you. It's hard to hear as you're walking away, but they always say nice things back to you. Emails directly at the conversation inbox at gmail.com for any questions, comments, concerns, or just the chit chat about things offline, although it's technically still online, but we can talk about whatever you want to at the email address, the conversation inbox at gmail.com and find out what else is going on in the world. That is Jay Cleveland Payne by going to Jay Cleveland Payne's website. Who is me, by the way, jclevenpain.net. That is it. That is all. We are done. Thank you so much for joining us for this journey on the week ending in January the 11th, 2020. Another full week, eight-ish days of news stories coming up next week. But we won't know which stories are the most important until you tell us. So get on the social media, hit those clicks, and let us know. We'll be back next week to let you know what stories you like the most. From The Conversation Project and this is Conversation.com. this is the weekly wrap-up with Jay Cliff and Payne. We'll see you as we wrap up next week.